It's bigger than Ben-Hur. It's uh, more ambitious than anything the Marvel Cinematic Universe has to offer when it comes to a crossover. It's the Para Podcast and TCT coming together to talk all things juniors in 2021. Boys, this is something big, something special. How you doing? Good. Feeling good, good mate. Feeling nervous, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Can I, can I talk crap about Tigers in this or not? Oh, mate, no, uh, it's only about Paramount No, no, true. But it would not be any sort of Para Podcast without Birdie getting at least, at least one shot on the Tigers. So, um... Let's get into introductions, and unfortunately Hamish can't join us today because our glorious leader on the Para podcast has um, done his duty as a dad and picked up the flu off his kids, so we wish him a speedy recovery there. But um, joining the Para podcast side of things, as always, is Bertie. How's it going, lads? Good man. And Ham? Yep. <laughs> and classic one-word fashion, I love it. Yep. <laughs> and bringing the heat from the TCT side of things is my favorite collaborator on that um, on our website, and that's 60s. Mate, how you doing? You know my name. Look up the number. <laughs> oh, we've got a catchphrase now. Holy shit. <laughs> I'm borrowing heavily, of course, from the Beatles, but there we go. <laughs> That's some Ron Burgundy tier stuff right there, mate, with the um, the Anchorman one-liners. <laughs> Stay classy, San Diego. But um, yeah, so let's get into it, boys. We've got a lot to talk about this um, particular episode because we've got squad after squad after squad, and we've even got notable omissions. That's how big it is. So let's start with a, a squad that I think that not many of us are going to have a great idea about, but it is a squad that is trending upwards for the Eels, and that's the Tasha Gale girls. Um, and they've been building nicely over the last couple of years. And I think they've actually changed things up this year, if I'm not mistaken, Ham and 60s. They did a, a massive sort of athletic combine almost um, this year for the Tasha Gales. I think they had over 40 girls trial, and then they uh, picked squads based on athletic testing given the COVID restrictions. So from that... We ended up with a oh goodness. Where's my list gone? Um, how many players is that? Sorry, I'm just in there. Yeah, just well, basically that, what we're ta- what we're talking about there Oops. is they've they've had real. They seem to have had a greater uh, selection battle. Yeah, the, and I think we're looking at a, a 25 together. or 26 lady squad, um, which yep. is uh, very sizable. And I think like Six was just saying, it's a reflection of the rising popularity of the uh, code for the ladies out west. And I think that comes on the back of the which which Western Sydney club is it that's been the most successful, or experienced the most growth? Uh, uh, Toon Gabby. Toon Gabby. That's yeah. right. Yep. So it's sort of positioning the Parramatta Eels to move on to bigger things when it comes to the ladies' uh, side of things. And I think there was an expression of interest for a NRLW team uh, lodged by the Eels, if uh, if I'm not mistaken. So awesome platform, and it's all coming from the Tasha Gale squad. So um, Ham, you want to start walking us through that squad if you want, mate? Oh yeah, sure. Um, so first I've got Chelsea Austin, Summer Brown, Kristen Cawthorn. I oh, and if I butcher some of yeah, these names. No no disrespect. Oh, yeah, if we if we do manage to mangle any of your names, girls, we um, we don't mean anything disrespectful by any means. Uh then we go on with Martha Fua, Amina Kanj, Danielle Keller, Ruby Jane Kennard, Taimani Kolomaka, Rosalia Lia, Tamara Liati, Lorene Lua Manuvei. Uh, 40 has put me on the spot here because I've not looked at any of these names. <laughs> um, Larijo Kacha, N. Masami, Hannah McFadden, Quinn McVeigh, Losalia Payne, Demia Pritchard, Talisha Pugh, Eloisa Seve, Summer Terare, Hope Tavanga, Jade to- Jada Tovai, sorry, um, Leah, Leah Lani Tua, Jacinta Tui, Shanna Vakai, and Catalina Vave. Very good, um. So the girls are building on a 2020 season, which never really got off the ground after the COVID-19 sort of pandemic broke out. And in that season, they played six games for one win and one draw and then unfortunately four losses. 
But in 2019, they actually made the top five, got into the finals with a, a six-win effort on a nine-game season. So there's been a bit of consistency there for the girls after those initial uh, struggles in the Tasha Gale, and it's going to be something for them to build on, and it's going to be interesting to see how much the that rise in interest for their trials reflects on the uh, level of competition within the squad. So we're hoping for big things from the girls this year, aren't we? A hundred percent. I think there was a, uh, a video on parareels.com uh, where it was uh, Joey Grimer was talking about the Tasha Gale and um, yeah, just the participation numbers have increased tenfold there. So, you know, these extra girls bring, you know, um, whether they've come from touch football, um, little athletics, there's already a, ba- a base skill level there. So, um, yeah. yeah league, league is doing a fantastic job of drawing upon all these different playing pools. We've seen um, most recently rugby union sort of dabble its or girls on the rugby union side of things dabble their toes into rugby league. And the um, NRLW this year was excellent and the Origin game was outstanding. So the the quality of the product is getting better every year. And what you know, we've spoken about it um, on and off the podcast, Ham, but we're really looking forward to that NRLW expanding its competition, not just with more teams, but more rounds because the quality of play has been really, really fun to watch. Oh, 100%, you know. We, if it, if Parramatta's um, participation numbers have increased uh, year on year, I imagine every uh, district has done the same there. So... Um, yeah, looking forward to maybe just, you know, taking things slow at the time. I think the NRL have actually done pretty well with the NRLW. The yeah, not not trying teams. to brute force it and, and make things happen when there's not enough uh, player pool or player talent there and they've just done yeah. the right thing and, and slow cooked it, as Hamish yeah, um, so, yeah. would love. I think, I think that's an important point that you made about slow cooking it, but they're really getting to the stage, however, where they need that little bit of expansion and something beyond a what is I don't want this thing out the wrong way, but when it's played between four teams in the semi final series, it starts to get to looking a little bit like an exhibition tournament rather than a premiership. And I think once it expands to six teams, then they start maybe having uh two rounds of it. I I know there are probably logistical issues around that, um, maybe some cost issues, but this has the potential to be the most exciting women's sport in the world to watch. And Absolutely. I think they've done the right thing in the slow approach, but they have to be very, very close to being able to expand because I think it needs to. I think it needs to stand on its own two legs. And I think there's enough... Uh, recognition and respect for how the women are playing the game, that it can start to stand on its own. And uh, it's I, I think they've, they've got to be very, very close to that expansion time right now. Good it reminds point. me of the old Four Nations, you know, the men. We have yeah, yeah, that's, that's actually a great, great uh, reference point there, Bertie, where you have the four teams, and yes, it's good to watch the footy, but when you've got four teams, so you can pick out who's going to win within like the first round or so. So. The downfall, the downfall, the last two years has been that the grand final has been decided after only two rounds. Yeah, yes. So the third, the third round, the third weekend of matches were dead rubbers in in essence when it came to deciding who was playing in their grand there, final. There was an argument that they could have pushed for a double round robin format with those four teams to at least get you know play each team twice and then get a better seating. But yeah, so it's something they're going to be working on in the coming seasons though. Um, I think are they expanding by two teams in RLW this year? Look, I'm I'm not sure I'm not sure on that as yet. Because I know the, I know the Titans put in an expression of interest, uh, but I'm not sure what the actual outlook of it is. But something yeah, to something yeah. to monitor for sure. I think if you if you're looking at an expression of interest, are you 
are you looking at the next year or the year after? The, that's that's the, the question. The what, what's, the, what's the timeline to get your frame, the framework for your competition or your team set up? Yeah, yeah. I think I think the the goal for the Eels is to be able to play their NRW matches at Kellyville. So they're yes, looking that, at the that, that is the outcome they're looking there. for. Yes, so yeah, they're looking to amongst the number of other grades, but highlighted by the the, the girls for sure. All right, so yep. we'll we'll keep on top of the Tasha Gal as the season progresses in 2021. But for now, let's move on to the the uh, youngest level of uh, district or junior representatives for the boys, and that would be the Harold Matthews. Um, now, I think it's worth mentioning that the Eels have uh, dissolved their their country teams, haven't they, boys? There is no no longer a Correct. Johns or Daly squad that will be supplementing yep, right. the two junior um, structures. Instead, they've expanded their junior rosters into a North and South Parramatta. And that allows them to have greater intra-squad uh, competitiveness inside the district. And um, the result of that means that they've picked the following Harold Matthews team. And uh, we've um, starting off with Afanga Mino. You've got Blaze Talangi, uh, Shabel Shahadi, uh, Ham's boy Charlie Geimer. And he'll be one of the halves there. Uh, Cody Parry, Cooper Sinclair, Declan Murray, Dom Destratus, Ethan Sanders. One of my favorite names of, in a long time, Genesis Tuagi Sayala. Um, Jacob John... Josh Alzahim, Josh Lialoto, uh, Kobe Herford, Lachlan Galvin, Michael Gabriel, Miles Martin, Patrick Spence, uh, Raphael Destratus, uh, Sam Tuavati, Saxon Pryke, Suliasi Aho, uh, Terence Lafay, Tyrese Lokeni, and Yaya Ayachi. So there's um, some familiar names there for Ham and myself. Um, there's some new names in there as well. But it's an interesting squad. Now, the Harold Matthews, once again, referring to that uh, abbreviated 2020 season, actually finished second on the ladder on points differential. Um, they equaled the Dogs with uh, five wins, uh, but the Dogs did have a game in hand. So they were five wins from six starts, uh, uh, differential of 64, positive 64, obviously. So they had a fantastic start to the 2020 season before it all unraveled beyond their control. Um, Ham, who's the first player you want to talk about when you look at this squad? Um, I know you point out Charlie Geimer as my boy because I thought he had a very good. Um, there, there is another half that you do you do like as well. I know that. Um, sort another of, half. I was going to say a, more of a lock. Mark oh Martin. well, yeah. I, I thought before you were going with the halves, there was another. You liked Ethan Sanders too, from what you saw in 2020. But I know Miles Martin is the number one guy for you. I didn't want to. Didn't want to. <laughs> so, I, I, if I started, I would have um, sidetracked the actual squad list too much. <laughs> <laughs> All good. Um, but yeah, I can talk about Charlie Geimer. Um, you know, he's a kid from Tamora. Um, we brought him in early this year. Um, he was a bit bit hot and cold. In yeah, the there, was, there was streakiness to um, to his form early on, for sure. But yeah, I, those two games I saw of him in the, in the schoolboys, I just thought um, he'd, he'd grown in confidence. He was playing for uh, St. Greg Campbelltown. Much more decisive and aggressive in his shot calling as well. 100%. And just his uh, level of passing. Like, I said it before on the Para podcast, but the, just the silkiness and the ease of the way that he was throwing long cutout passes, um, just spiral balls, hitting short balls, it really reminded me of um, the way Tim Smith used to play and the way Tim Smith, um, yeah, just the way he had eyes, you know, the way he was able to keep his head up and everything. So, you know, I'm probably putting too much pressure on the young fella, but um, that's just <laughs> the way I saw it there. Now, um 60s. You saw probably saw more of the Andrew Johns in 2020 than you did of the actual Harold Matthews, given that you were moonlighting as a commentator. Um, yeah. Any names there seem familiar when they come to the sort of amalgamated squads? That's probably a, a fair statement because I did see a bit of the uh, Andrew Johns and Laurie Daly Cup this earlier this year, 
as part of the live streaming service that they provided on the New South Wales Rugby League. So, yes, I was out there on the colour commentary. It was a bit of fun, I will say. <laughs> uh, so there are a few names that I've noted down. Blaze Talagi, I think he will compete for uh, one of the halves positions. He was a standout for me in the Andrew Johns Cup. And uh, Kobe Herford, who was back rower, I, uh, I thought he was uh, someone that could have easily pushed up into the uh, Mats team last year. And then there's a player that we saw a little bit of for Westfields in the Schoolboy Cup, and he was one of the standouts in the Laurie Daly, and that was Cooper Sinclair. And he's quite young, so he was he was out on the wing for Westfield, but he was playing in the centres mm-hmm. for uh, the uh, Andrew Johns Cup team. And very tall, lanky. He was an awkward conveyance for the opposition teams to tackle. <laughs> so um, just having someone at that 15, 16 years of age who was as tall as him out in the back line, he, when he was getting the ball near the try line, he was just very difficult to hold out. Uh, likewise, uh, at uh, Hamish, I nominated Miles Martin as. Yeah, we'll, we'll get we'll get to Miles in a sec because Hamish is going to gush about Eminem <laughs> at at length. Uh, I'm, I'm, a bit, I'm potentially I'm potentially embarrassed on on Ham's behalf at uh, just how much he might gush. So. Just before yeah. we do talk about Miles, I just want to talk about Kobe Herford there. Um, sixties. I know he's a year young for this, yeah. so he was 15 this year and 16. Bear, bearing, just for our listeners, a reminder that they have bumped up the age brackets for each of these groups by one year because of the lost year of development. So formerly under-16s, Matthews is now under-17s, Ball is under-19s, and Jersey Flag is under-21s. Sorry, Ham. No, all good, all good. Um, He was the captain there for a few games, wasn't he? Oh, look, I, to be honest, I, off the top I of my head, I think he might have had the C next to his name. I, I do yeah. recall some team lists where he might have had the C there, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think he played a, a couple of games off the bench just before the um, just before the COVID nineteen pandemic uh, hit. So you know that there's some high hopes for young Kobe, and um, you know I think it shows that they've got trust in him for you know he could potentially be a, a bench prop. Being a year young, um, we don't really seem to play uh, players a year young in this grade unless they're something special. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the last ones was. Um, uh, Trey Mooney, who's now at the Canberra Raiders. So that goes to show you the sort of level of talent, um, you know, if we're putting faith in a 15, now 16-year-old to be playing up in Harold Matthews. Absolutely. Now, uh, before we jump onto the Miles Martin hype, um, hype train, um, 60 sort of touched on it tangentially, but I think that the back line is going to be a real strength for this Matthews squad. Um, we already talked about Cooper Sinclair, but uh, Declan Murray was an absolute standout for what I saw in 2020. He was um, almost unstoppable as yes, a... As a left centre, I want to say, but I think he played both sides at points during the season. But um, I think Cody Perry had the right centre when he was healthy, and he was—he's another good talent too, Cody, um, being the younger um, younger brother of uh, one-time Eel Ethan. But um, Declan was a real standout. Uh, great frame, athletic, uh, very good with the ball in hand, defended quite well too. So, defensively strong. Yeah. So um, yeah, really, uh, really good prospect to, there too. And I think the Ford Pack's got a few question marks over it in terms of. Uh, prominent members. I mean, I, I joked about his name being fantastic, but I thought Genesis was pretty good for us in the six or so games that we saw in 2020. Um, he was like one of our better starting forwards. So if they can lay the platform, it's going to be a, a big, you know, big positive for the team. And it's I going think to, you're also missing out on the two big wingers we had there. Um, yeah, well, Arsuliasi Aho, who, who garnered a little bit of hype in the Daily Telegraph. I don't know how he managed to 
wrangle that one up. But he's a big boy, 192 centimetres, 94 kilos, if I recall correctly. Obviously growing into that frame, given that he was only 15 or 16 years of age. Um, but he managed to get a little spotlight in the Daily Telegraph. He's a big boy. And Ham, you want to shout out your other winger? Oh, Joshua Lealea Lotto. Yep. Um, yeah, again, another big winger. Really worked, worked uh, wrapped the ball out well there. Um, so, yeah, that back line for the Harold Matthews. Absolute strength for the team, isn't it? Two to five is big, strong, um, very, and good football players too. Not just very good athletes, good football players as well. That's been one of the calling cards of the young backs that have been coming through the reps in the last couple of years, and we'll get to him later, but there's a, a, a Jersey flag winger that's very popular with both TCT and the Para podcast. I know he's um, Hamish's favourite, the absent Hamish's favourite player in the um, squad. So we'll, we'll talk about um, football intelligence and wingers, which seems to be an oxymoron these days, but there's a few of them floating around the ranks, which is awesome. All right, boys, we've, um, we've managed to waffle on about props and, and backline and whatnot. Let's get to the main course in the Harold Matthews. Ham, 60s, you want to talk about Miles Martin? I would 60s start off. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think the fact that you've got a player there who was uh, pushing into the Blacktown uh, St. Pat's team. I know he didn't feature in the in the final or the semi-final, but he's there mixing it with 18-year-olds this year. And, it's a measure, measure of his toughness. Borderline NRL talent at the, at the point in the first on those squads. Yes. Yeah, that's right. So you've got you've got players in those, as you said, in those squads who are going to be doing NRL pre-season. So he's mixing it in with that. And look, I think I think he's an outstanding. Ta- he just looks he looks like a footballer, doesn't he? Yeah. Every yeah. everything about the way that he plays, there's there's certain players who you just look at him and you just go, they're a footballer. And whether it's the physicality, whether it's a football intelligence, I, I think he's got I think he's got the the uh, physicality and the intelligence covered as a young bloke. Of course. As you progress through these ages, we've seen so many instances where there are players who look like they're going to be the goods, but they don't go on with it for various reasons. Because as we know, that journey towards being a professional footballer has many hurdles for them to overcome. So many that are the difference between a player that makes it and a player that doesn't make it. It's a it's a minor difference when it comes to ability. And it's all about dedication, willingness to sacrifice, just that uh, that little extra push that they that they managed to get internally as well, but um, he certainly got all the building blocks to be a player that we will be watching coming through the ranks. That's for certain. Hundred percent. I just want to touch on his um, football intelligence. I was, I believe, it was a trial match against the Bulldogs. It was when I first no, yeah, it was one of the first times I saw him, and um, the dogs scored. And, Parramatta were kicking off and usually the fullback or one of the halves kick off. Miles grabbed the ball, put the ball on the on the tee on a weird angle and kicked off. And the ball would not have left shoulder height, but it was just the way the ball was floating in the air, the speed of the ball and everything. And the dogs fumbled it. And I thought, you know, for a lock. The old knuckleball kickoff. Yeah, knuckleball kickoff or, you know, whatever you want to call it. You know, in, in a trial match when he's from, uh, I think he's from Bathurst, for him to have the confidence to do that and then also be able to pull it off. Um, yeah, just intelligent, smart, heads-up play. And, um, you know, as 60 said, there's a long way uh, to first grade and um, these kids are only 16, 17, so uh, even longer than a lot of other players. So, um, yeah, um, you know. the big The big thing with Miles is that, A, he's got that rangy frame that he's going to grow into. 
good height, broad shoulders, you know, a bit on the skinny side at the moment, but with, you know, sort of getting older and being able to have access to full-time training, he will grow into that frame. Um, got great tools on both sides of the ball, defends really willingly, got a really solid offload, great work rate. So he just ticks all the boxes. Um, you know, he's a borderline blue chip prospect in that regard, you know, just does everything really well. And that's what you love to see in a, a lock forward. All right, boys, um, we've gone through most notable players and, you know, obviously there's a lot more players that could have a great season in that team. You know, you don't make junior reps by accident at Parramatta. But um, given what we've said and what we've seen, what do you think the prospects are for the Harold Matthews in 2021? I think there's actually some confidence around the squad, the strength of the squad. And given their performance last year and that there's returnees in that in that squad, you'd have to say that they would be aiming for a, a top four finish. Of course, when we're saying this, we have to keep in mind that the ultimate goal is for the club to be producing footballers, not necessarily winning titles. There is, and it, it sounds silly, level. but there is a marked difference because you can coach and develop to dominate juniors or you can coach and develop to develop the players for long term. And yeah. they, they can produce stridently different results. And I think... If you look back at Parramatta's recent history, the 2014 Holden Cup squad really jumps out as a team that were coached to dominate the Holden Cup, not develop first graders. And you know, yeah. eventually we did get Ryan Madison come back out of that to be an integral part of the NRL team, but he had to walk a long road to get back to us. Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, they've certainly got the, the strength within the squad that they would be aiming to feature in the top four for the Harold Matthews. But as I said, I'd like to think that there's a few players, and you highlighted that backline strength, that, uh, and and obviously a couple of the forwards there, that we'd like to see progress through the ranks and become good footballers. So that's my anyway. That's my take on it. I, I think there's I think there's very very good prospects here. I think it's a strong squad. All right, Ham. Sixties are set the bar at top four. You going higher or lower? Um, I'm sticking with that. I was actually thinking that exactly the same uh, sentiments. As you were asking the question, two sixties. Um, I think the dogs are very, you know, what what they did pre-COVID in the Harold Matthews. They've got a very strong player. Yeah, very good team. And, um, Paul Alamotti, who's, you know, I think he's a centre. He's just big, fast, kicks goals. He's, you know, all the talk at the moment's around Joseph Suwali. This kid is, you know, just as big, just as strong. I think he'll be one for the dogs in the future. Um, but given, you know, he's only one player. I'm not sure about the rest of the um, dogs team. But, you know, what I've seen, little of these uh, young men, I think they're a good, strong team. A um, few deficiencies, which could have been worked out over the COVID break. Um, a few of them have played uh, schoolboy footy, especially at a young age, um, which puts them in good stead. I think a top four finish um, with an eye for the title, if I can say it that way. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, being a Parramatta junior uh, team, uh, top four, uh, given we want to be looking for developing for first grade, um, you still want them sort of being professional in these competitions. And yeah. So I think a professional finish for a club like Parramatta, for the Parramatta Eels, is top four with an eye to the premiership there. Yeah, I think that internally, and this is without any sort of reference, I think the club will be set in top four as a pass mark. I think given what they saw in 2020 and given that there's been another 12 months of development for these kids they'll be looking to you know, build on that. And if the forward pack can really consolidate and, and coalesce into something really strong, or not even just strong, but functional, I think they'll be looking at the minor premiership, if not the title itself, as a realistic outcome. 
So it's going to be exciting to watch. It is worth mentioning. Ham did, did talk about the Bulldogs. Um, they got a lot of hype prior to the 2020 season, and there was a lot of talk about how they assembled a really good team, and they backed it up with a, a you know five from five start. So they're really looking like the sort of other front runners in the comp. But um, you can always expect the Panthers to turn up pretty strongly in the juniors. Manly got some good kids out there as well, um, and then you know there could always be a bolter from the blue when it comes to a you know a sort of rejinked competition where the ages get bumped up. So yeah, another. Interesting run for the Eels, and they'll be looking for a good result in the Matthews. All right, boys. So we've wrapped up the six. Or I was about to say wrapped up the sixteens. We've wrapped up the under seventeens. Old habits are hard to break. Let's move on to the under nineteens. The SG ball. Um, starting off with a couple of Baileys, but spelled differently. We've got Bailey B A I, uh, Bailey Nuradine, followed by Bailey Cox for B A Y L E Y. So I've never actually seen two different Baileys in the same squad. There you go. I've seen both. I've seen a Bailey or a Bailey, but I've never seen a Bailey Bailey. Imagine um, if they were Bailey Brayleys. <laughs> the long-lost Brayley brother. <laughs> but yes, so Bailey Nordin, um leads off the Ashley Ball squad, followed by Bailey Cox. Blake Martin, who was elder brother of Miles, if I'm not mistaken, is the third man off the rank. David Lange, Desi Ricchetti, Drew Lloyd, or Lloyd, Francis Tuitino, Freeman Forsyth, Gabriel Calace, Jalen De Groot, Jock Brazel, Josh Chappell, uh, Josh Liffey, Junior Wright, Keanu Wright, Dunrobin, uh, Kalen Bray, Kovi Lemesu, uh, sorry, Kovi, forgot that wrong, uh, Kylan Mafoa, uh, Big Larry, Larry Mwagu Tutia, and then we've got a new face in uh, Maui J. Townsend, Max Tupo, Nicholas Lenaz, Spencer Tuala, Taylor Moala, and Vlado Jankovic. So once again, we've got returning names there that can spy straight off the off the cab. Got a couple of new faces. I already pointed out one in Maui J. Townsend. Uh, this is, uh, I'm going to say it, it's a relatively weak SG Ball squad because a lot of players that would be eligible for SG Ball are being promoted to the Jersey flag, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, very much so. All those players that we uh, noted that are in the, that played in that schoolboy cup that haven't been named in the... SG Ball team, but we know, uh, sorry, haven't been named, even some of them haven't even been named in the flag squad. So you can imagine how the, the strength of the, of the two squads or the, the admission squad and the um, flag squad, exactly. So if they actually correct, drew on all the talent for the ball, there's no doubt they could put together a monstrous team. But we already talked about it. You're, t- you're thinking about long term development rather than short term results. That's right. If you, if, if the club was interested in winning an SG ball premiership and that that was their goal, they could stack this team. Oh, it would be uh, a very good team. <laughs> it, 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 would, it would be insane what the what the team would look like. However, the other side of the coin is this does give an opportunity for some young blokes who might have been fringe or uh, not uh, or would not have made the squad to show their wares in uh, you know more uh, getting more game time for the SG ball this season. So I think that's I think it's a, it's an interesting opportunity that they have. Can I just also ask? I, I did see I, I don't know too much about Marley J Townsend, and I noted that he'd also been named. Yeah, he's, he's named across the two squads, flag and ball. So um, what I could gather, he joins us via the Newcastle Knights, and he's got experience at both centre and wing. And I think it was named one of the Indigenous teams as a 16-year-old, um, the rep squad. So a little bit of rep pedigree there. Um, I haven't really haven't had a chance to look at him, though, because the Newcastle catchment of players is just so far removed from our... Uh, I know that we play him you know, once a year, but it's so far removed from any chance of seeing them regularly. So he's an interesting one to watch. So not really sure where he fits in across the two squads. 
Yeah, just and interestingly as well, I, I am seeing a few names there that were part of the Laurie Daly Cup. Yeah, last uh, probably year. headlined by um, Big Bad David Lange, who um, yes. was um, quite a quite a good prospect in the Laurie Dowie and has been a guy that's been on the radar for TCT and Hamish for a while. Um, he's got all the physical tools and just needs to find the consistency, but he had a good campaign last year, or last year, last season, this year. Yeah, and uh, also uh, Desi Rakiti, who in the, the matches that I saw him play in the Laurie Daly Cup last year, he was playing at 5'8", but he is a rather big unit who's probably yeah. more of a back rower than he is a half and uh, but he's got the he's got the skills there so I, I think he's a, an interesting inclusion and uh, especially where they decide to play him and you mentioned Blake Martin before he was part of the Laurie Daly Cup squad when I uh, watched the games there and yes he's the older brother of Miles Martin and I think he had in my opinion he was he was one of the most consistent forwards for Patrician Brothers Blacktown during the Schoolboy Cup I really like the the how can I put it I think he plays a really tidy game as a forward he mm. he just seems to be around the ball doing brick, brick and mortar players you mate you need them in yeah. teams don't you yeah absolutely absolutely I I really like what he produced during that Schoolboy Cup and I think he's got a bit to offer I think he's got a bit to offer above that um Laurie Daly Cup level that he was at last year, so I'm pleased to see him named in the SG ball. I'm also I'm also noting uh, I've been told some good things about Keelan Bray, who was a name that was relatively new to me. Uh, he's also a halfback, and um, I've been told that it's he's had an incredible dedication to forcing his way into the squad. So I've been told to keep an eye out on him as well. There you well. go. There's, so, there's the first name to there, out of the it. blue to jot down, Keelan Bray. Because that was one I was looking at going, I have absolutely no <laughs> yeah. idea. New, new name, he's no real. Nowhere. Yeah. I think he's come through the uh, local, he's a local football. And just forced his way in. Love to see yeah. it. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, as I said, uh, dedication there. So, and of course, uh, there's a couple of names that are very familiar to uh, all of us. Uh, Taylor Mawala. He's he's been uh, someone that we followed through from the mats. Yeah, and, big, big uh, robust um, yeah, forward. Yes, and uh, and Josh Chapel, who comes via Queensland, uh, who's also was. We were probably expecting. Uh, to see a little bit more of him last year. I I think that they did struggle the SG ball last year, and I think if you've got the the uh, the team struggling, it's very hard for the halfback to yes, shine. Yes, that, that, that is a fair so, point. And you know, he, came, he was coming into a new system with not that much uh, time under his belt uh, in terms of uh, familiarising himself with the Parramatta systems. Um, and, yeah, so the, the boys didn't have the greatest season across the six games they played, only three wins. Um, and a buy, so they're under 500 uh, in terms of percentages. But yeah, definitely something to build on. Um, but like you said, there's some returning names there that sort of catch the eye. You've already mentioned Taylor. Um, big Larry Mwagatutia had a great schoolboys campaign, um, and he's a big rumbling prop forward, good engine, bit of an offload. He'll probably be one of the uh, starting props there. And I think that a lot of the uh, impact in the middle will sort of start and end with him. Um, but the other player that had a surprising schoolboys um, campaign this year that really jumped off the page, and he, you know he's been solid for the Eels in the past, but hadn't you know really stand, um, starred for me was Vlado Yankovic. I thought it was really oh, good, yes. really good in the schoolboys. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I I did I 
I have had he, I have got him noted down as as someone that I wanted to talk about as well because yeah he was I thought I thought that was some of the best play that I'd seen from him at that schoolboy cup level. He was a constant danger. Out yeah, he was a, yeah. a pest. Like his running was just the way the timing of his runs when he picked out markers was just very and especially after um, uh, also another Parramatta junior who'll be talking about later, Caleb Tohey. Oh yeah, Caleb would do a lot, lots to talk about with Caleb. Yeah, and yeah. Vlado, uh, not yeah, Vlado would just uh, top that off with a, you know a good fifteen meter run there, or even you know just engaging the markers. I thought yeah, it was really smart hooker play. Yeah, both of those boys, even though they were in the losing Westfield Sports High team, they could really hold their heads high after that mm-hmm. final because I thought I thought they were two of the best players on the field. And they were awesome in the week before to qualify yeah. for the, the grand final in a really back-and-forth game. Um, they they helped Westfields get over the top and, and book that spot in the big dance. So, yeah, two two boys there that had a, a really strong campaign. We'll get to Caleb in a second. Um, and the other player that I'm, I'm sort of interested to see how he develops this year is Gabriel Kalache, who's been in the system for quite some time and has always flashed a bit of talent. But he's sort of been the guy that's he was involved with some of the, the really good te- like the players that aren't in this team right now, and he's always been the guy who's sort of left behind because he's just a year younger. So I'm looking to see if he can sort of stamp his um authority on this team in the halves, or he could end up in the centres too, I suppose, Ham. But uh, he's a very versatile backline player, and he's got a bit of talent. Yeah, he reminds me of a bit of um the year above Sam Luizu. Mm, that's a good comparison. Half, yeah. Um, just a big body, you know, bit bit undersized, but probably due to age. Um, still fast, decent enough ball skills. Um, but yeah, could you know? It's really weird. You could probably just as easily fill in at second row, five eighth or centre. That's a sort of that's where I. He's a bit yeah. He's a bit of a, an odd one. Um, but yeah, you know this. The spine combinations of this team will be very interesting coming up to next year. You know, you talk about Vlada Jankovic. I don't. You can't forget Bailey Nuruddin, who was a very very good hooker for um. Patrician Brothers, who did his job well of just getting the ball uh, to his halves, but also bringing his forwards onto the ball. And then, obviously, not to forget Drew Lloyd, who was also at yeah. um, Hill Sports High team, who made the uh, semifinals there. So three out of the four um, schoolboys teams that made the semifinals were their hookers were all Eels players. So um, there's a big, there's a big, a lot of competition for that number nine spot in mm-hmm. this team. Um, you know, finding out Keelan Bray um, is a half. Then you've got. Uh, as we said, Jabril Kalachi, um, Josh Chapel. I know Keanu Wright Don Robin, who's down from Queensland, is a half. So there's, there's and, some um, options. Deals. We didn't talk about it, but Jock Brazel and Max Tupo are both pretty solid back rowers. Can do a bit of damage out wide. So it's a team that, it's uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's got it's got a bit of upside. I'll I'll kick off the prediction and say that if they make the finals and go at least one game to the finals, uh, one win into the finals, they've done really well. I think that's uh, probably punching above their weight, given what they could have at the helm there. But in saying that, um, if they catch fire, there's a bit of talent in this team still. And if they, you know, just once again, solidify the rock, play good fundamental football through the middle, don't make too many mistakes, they'll give themselves a shot most weeks. Just Can I just get your thoughts? Because you, we talked about the spine. Who plays fullback from this team? Freeman Forsyth has moonlighted at fullback a couple of times there. He's got a bit of utility value throughout the back line. So I would think... All- uh, Jalen DeGroote, who we've brought down from the Northern Rivers Titans. That, yes, and so he was the, a recruit from the, and the Laurie Daly, I believe. Um, so he's probably going to be fighting it out with Forsyth. But there could be, I mean, there could be something uh, really missing here. Also played uh, fullback a couple of times. 
last year in the Harold Matthews mm. and uh, for Westfield Sports High in round one of the um, yeah. So th- there's options there. Yeah, I was just I I very much agree with you there, Forty. I think if if the team features in the finals, that they can feel very pleased with themselves because of the fact that they are going to be missing players that are eligible for the for this uh, for this age group but will obviously be playing higher, possibly even as high as Canterbury Cup, some of the yeah. players that are that are missing from Quite this possibly. under-19s team. So I think, it's, I think that's a good place to aim as finals football for them. And I'm, I am really curious for, for something around that same area that Hamish mentioned, which is that dummy half area. I think, it's, I think that is outstanding competition for the dummy half position to have three young players who will be very capable of providing not just good service, but in the certainly in the case of Vlado Jankovic, that it's he really does engage that defence, and uh, it, it's, it could they could surprise us. They could surprise us. Alrighty, Ham, you see, you see sort of a top eight finish as a good start for these boys, or you got higher aspirations. Um, I actually think they could finish top four. You know, I'm not sure about what other squads are looking like. I just think with the growth of those dummy halves, which is it's such an important position, the fact that we've got, you know, three players who I don't, it, it wouldn't bother me who they picked in the starting 17 here. I'd be happy with all three of them. Um, in fact, could we put all three in one jersey is what I'm wondering. Uh, <laughs> um, make a number 27. Uh, you know, if you put any of those players in, I think it's a, it's a hard-working forward pack. I think it's a bit of the opposite of um, bit of the opposite of the Harold Matthews. I think the forward pack is settled. I think there's you know Blake Martin we've mentioned obviously before David David Lungy, um, what have you, Jock Brazel. It's just the backs. I'm, just, I'm not a hundred percent sure on um, what the backs will be producing um, in this grade, but I think the forward pack uh, can lay a very solid foundation there, and um, you know if the dummy halves can play off the back of that. I actually think this team could be a top four squad. There you go. Ham's going big, and he's not going to go home, I don't think. So he's back no, in the... I'm not saying that uh, <laughs> I'll go deep into the four. No, but they're going to equip themselves well. It's going to be... Yeah. You know, and in these grades, it all depends on the strength of draw, which is... Yeah, strength of draw. Um, you know, injuries obviously are always crucial. You lose a couple of spine players, and you're really, you know, unless it's maybe at hooker where we've got that depth we're talking about, you're sort of you're digging your own grave there. But um, you can't really control that, can't you? So... No, and in a nine-round competition, you have to hit the ground there's, running. There's very little room for error. Yeah, your margin of error is so thin when you're playing just nine rounds before you head into sudden death football. All righty, so... A few years back, Parramatta in the SG ball only missed out on uh, finals by like un- under 10 points difference. And then it turned out that there was a counting error in the four and against, yeah. and the Eels should have been in the finals. Yes, that was 2018, I believe, where we sort of tanked most of the season and should have still scrapped our way into the finals. So, yeah, it's a good, good bit of trivia there for fans listening to the podcast. But, yeah, <laughs> a funny one that came at our expense. But yeah, that caps off the SG ball. So we've got uh, sort of top eight, the top four predictions there for the boys. And it brings us into the home stretch where we've probably got the most interesting squad. Um, that's the Jersey Flex squad, naturally, under 21s in 2021, which is a nice little um, tie-in, isn't it? Under 21s in 2021. Um, lots of players to talk about here. This is going to be the real meat and bones of this podcast. So let's start with the team list. Um, leading off the... The, uh, the squad is the hyphen, Jonte Jr. Beffen Mesa. Um, <laughs> the hyphen. Um, following, following up, Jonte is Ollie Clements, so Oliver Clements, uh, Jack Colavati, Joshua Doty, 
Albert Etu, Etu Faave, Clayton, sorry, Clayton Falalo, Valence Harris, Jack Hoffman, Matthew Komalafi, Ethan LeBlanc, Tavita Massima, Tyrone Sow, Kyle Schneider, Jaden Skinner, Peter Tatio, Mark Tepu Smith, Nick Tilburg, Caleb Tohi, Penioni Tohi, um, that we were talking about before, but Maui J. Townsend, also named in the flag squad, David Tui, Emmanuel Tuomavave Gerard, Josh Tuopolotu, and Jaden Yates is the last man in the flag squad for 2021. Like I said, lots of names I want to talk about, uh, talk about there, boys. What really. Just, just lifting, peeling back the curtain here. So, uh, 40 uh, very graciously made up a uh, Word document with all the squads and has put in bold. Um, all the players that, that I think, yeah, that I want to talk about. And it's about two, <laughs> it's two thirds, the three quarters of the squad. And it's no disrespect it been, to the players that didn't. Quicker if you didn't. Yeah. And it, that's no disrespect to the players that I didn't highlight because there are also interesting players among them. It's just like, well, let's just talk about the whole squad at this point. <laughs> Who do you want to start on? You want to start on the double hyphen? Yeah, let's start with the hyphen. Um, Jonte is an interesting one because he's been, I mean, I don't, he's been frustrating, I think. Um, in in last sort of season or so, well, Darth Vader, what's going on? <laughs> Are you there, Darth? Sixties? Yes. Oh, you, you're giving us the Darth Vader impression there, mate. <laughs> oh no, no, I wasn't even speaking. Hamish, I am your father. <laughs> no, we done the the mic was picking up the breathing. Sorry, and then it sort of uh, crackled out. So we're still with the go though. We're talking about Jonte Junior, Beth, and Mesa to lead off the flag squad. And I was just saying that I think in the last season. Um, He'd been a little bit frustrating for me to watch from the sidelines because a lot of great runs, great impact, and then there'd be sort of like a boneheaded error where it was a drop ball or a penalty and, you know, sort of undermine some of the good work he was doing. And then in the schoolboys, we, we talk about this a lot, but this past NRL schoolboys cup, he just killed it. He just like blew it off the blocks and was one of the best forwards in the entire competition. I think one of the things that you can take for granted with these young robe like the, the really big headed up forwards is that as they're coming through the grades, it's not unusual to see the handling is probably one of the areas they need tidying up. So that's not a surprise about the past issues that he'd had with that. But um, yeah, he, he certainly was a standout to watch. Yeah. Big unit um, hits the line aggressively, everything you like to see in a young bull. And that's going to be a real theme for this team. There's a lot of young props worth talking about in this squad. I think there's at least four of them, if not five. So it's going to be very competitive in the front, the front row in the engine room. Um, Ham, what are your thoughts on the big hyphen? I couldn't agree more with what you just said about him. Um, I think we saw a lot of energy brought from him, mm-hmm. especially, um, you know, when he gets close to the line, if you get the ball in his hands, his mindset is just score a try. And he'll he'll run through a brick wall to score that try. I think he scored a double uh, in one of the ga- in the schoolboys games there. Um, no, and not only is one of those, you see some of the younger forwards, they do line up for the try for the big uh, superhero moment, but John Tay's gotten better at rucking the ball out. I won't say he's the best forward at it. Um, just being honest, I think he, he's getting better at it, which is showing uh, improvement as a player, is what, which is exactly what you, what you want to see uh, from these guys year on year. Just to just to just to jump in, I, my apologies. I was double checking a, a little bit of info when when you brought in the um, Darth Vader comment for the breathing. Um, <laughs> I, I I if you've done this, my apologies. Have you run through the squad? Yeah, yeah. We we powered through the squad. 
Oh, there you go. That's that's where, <laughs> that's, that's, where that's where I was. I was just going through a few. I was going through a few details because there was a couple of things that I wanted to talk about that that's I was double checking. So, um, and uh, in terms of naming the players that. Uh, notable omissions. Have we? Well, we'll, have we we'll get we'll that? get to the omissions at the end because there is a lot to talk about in terms of uh, senior football. I think for some of the players that aren't named in the flag squad, so it's interesting because we we talked about how the SG ball squad had been weakened because they named a, a very strong flag squad, and we sort of stepped up the flag squad and they could have named an even stronger flag squad. But there's you know eight or so players that are legitimately you know going to be powerhouses in that grade that could just play Canterbury Cup instead. But um, we'll get to them in a in a short moment. But uh, moving on to the next players I was going to sort of talk about. I'm going to bundle these three players together. And I don't think they're all that similar, but they came from the same circumstances in the 2020 season. And that's Oliver Clements, Jack Colavati, and Emmanuel Tormavave Gerard. Now, these three players joined the Eels in the 2020 season, and that's an edge back roll for Clements, a lock forward for Colavati, and a center for Tormavave Gerard is the positions they prefer. But um, we only got to see one game out of each of them. So they're almost ostensibly new signings for the club. So it's going to be exciting prospects to follow because we only got to see the preseason trials and the one game out of them, Ham and Sixties. Yeah, I'd I'd certainly noted down Ollie Clements there because he was a uh, Central Coast was did you say Central Coast boy? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it came to the Eels as an under 18s New South Wales rep in 2019, and um, was you know sort of touted by some of the guys that we trust in the business as a pretty exciting edge back row prospect. Um, but we didn't, we didn't get the same. He got the one game. Yeah against the Bulldogs where we won 20-14 to 14 in round one and it was, you know, a good solid game for the boys. But then the entire season got, um, you know, shit-canned for lack of a better word. And, yeah, so yeah. it leaves us with these three new faces that are, you know, like I said, essentially new recruits. And Colavati came to us from the Raiders as a, I think it was either the player's player or most improved um, in the 2019 season for the SG Ball. Uh, yeah, he's so, a very good pickup on the uh, certainly on the on the face of it, a very good pickup. And um, Tua Mavave Gerard was a, I, I mean, I don't think he's got any sort of awards or anything coming to us, but he was a quite a decent New Zealand Warriors prospect, and he joined yeah. us. So um, very cool to see how these guys develop. And unfortunately, we can't give you too much information on them, barring what we've just said. But yeah, it's going to be some of the, like the sort of storylines within the story, the big storyline to follow across um, TCT and the Para Podcast when we do all our game wraps and um, sort of player updates. Yeah, we, did, we got to see a little bit of them at, um, before, um, Hamish was uh, with me out at uh, Macquarie University. There was a, a trial. The inter-squad inter- uh, inter- trial, sorry. Yes. Well, they played um, North Sydney in that, in that trial out at uh, Macquarie Uni. Yeah. So that was, that was actually a, a reasonable hit out because I thought the uh, North Sydney squad were quite physical that night. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I liked the look of Colavati in that trial. I thought he was, I thought he was quite good. Um, but the, the thing with trials, of course, is you haven't, you, you're not seeing anything in the way of team combinations no. at that stage. You, you're getting a little bit of it because obviously the spine and is, is uh, something that you want to see having a, a bit more of a say, but the, just the, the lines that supports are going to run and the combinations out wider, it's all just very, very new. So I, I suppose you, you, probably start you're looking more at some individual performances rather than team performances in in trials and that's a really hard thing to judge the that balancing what do they look as a squad or or what do they look like as individuals um so i really had high hopes for the fleg team last year 
but that was also based on some of the people we're going to talk about that haven't been named in the flag team this year. And I mean, it's a, cre- it's a credit to the club that they still put together such a competitive flag outfit. We're like minus the players that we haven't mentioned in the squad, and we're talking some very good talent. So, yeah, um, yeah I mean, those three players you just talked about, they're going to be exciting stories to follow. Um, Ham, is there someone you want to talk about next? you want to go through the props, or is there another player that sort of caught your eye? Um, I will keep with the forwards. Caleb Tohey. Now, we, we, so we, we build Caleb earlier back in the uh, the SG ball um, section of things. Um, yeah, so we gave him a bit of hype, and for good reason. Yeah, I just thought um, in the when he was playing for Westfields in the semifinal and the final, I thought he was their best player. Um, I thought he was the best player on the field for across both teams in the semifinal against uh, they played Hills Sports, I think it was. Yes. Uh, yes. They played, I thought he was just the best player on the field. Um, he just brought energy in attack, defence. Uh, one thing I, I, I like seeing from forwards is um, their willingness to put pressure on a kicker, and he was doing it every single time he was at marker. Yeah, he, he, right. he brought the juice with and without the ball. And that's what yeah. you, as a lock forward, that's all you can ask for is, you know, just energising that ruck, putting pressure on the kickers, cutting the ball up. And, he did, and to be fair, he did more than cut the ball up. He was quite devastating with the ball in hand in his own right. Um, he reminds me a bit of uh, Nathan Brown. Yeah, a little bit. He, he, I think he's more explosive laterally, or at least yeah. at this stage of his career. Um, he sort of good footwork before the line. It was really difficult to lay your mitts on him. He, he wasn't afraid to get out to the edges and really exploit mismatches and numbers and, and sort of even size against the halves. Create a lot of line breaks down the right edge. Um, in the SG ball, and he was really one of the shining lights in the team that was struggling for consistency. He sort of did a lot of stuff by, on his own, um, on the sort of back of his own work. A lot of line breaks and a, a lot of um, great plays until an ankle injury slowed him down a little bit. Yeah, I think and I think he just gives, you know, he's a nice quick play of the ball, um, gives his dummy half. Again, uh, Jankovic uh, benefited massively off him. Um, it's just his... Effort and energy. I really enjoy him as a player. Um, he put on, he put on a big kick chase that I uh, thought changed the game towards uh, hills uh, towards Westfields there, where he put huge pressure on the fullback, um, which you don't usually see from forwards. You sort of want to keep a line there, but he put massive pressure on there, and it was just it inspired the win. I thought for Westfield. I can't remember if they were behind at the time or if they were uh, marginally in front, but it, it turned the game um, for Westfields mm-hmm. there. So. Um, yeah, big raps on Caleb. Um, Can I just say there, with uh, that observation that you made, when you've got forwards who put in a chase like that to turn the game, that says plenty about them as as an individual and just having that little bit of something extra. Yeah, you find out a lot about players and their off-the-ball work, less, yes. like, less so than the flashy stuff with the ball in hand, because there's a lot of superstars and the juniors that want to get the ball in hand and do all the highlight real stuff, but it's the ones that do the one percenters that sort of um, tick the coaches' boxes and make the grades internally. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think that was a great observation that you made there, Hamish, because it is a, an insight into a, a player who could potentially go further and those moments like that signal that they've got that little bit of something extra. And um, Caleb is obviously the younger brother of Penny Tohey, who was a one-time centre but now finds his way into the edge as a back rower. Um, what do you make of Penny, Tom, Ham? Um, it's been a bit hot and cold for mine. Mm. I think, uh, he started out on the edge for Jersey leg round one this year. Um, yeah, he's, he's a bit of a hard one to judge just because he's sort of gone from that centre to second row. Yeah, and I, I think he was one of the victims of 2020 where it was sort of a, 
a chance for him to really solidify his place in the back row. And then we sort of had that rub from him. So, yeah. He was on the same edge as Jacob, uh, Jacob Arthur, mm. who we'll no doubt speak about later on. Um, there, I think both would have benefited massively uh, from working with each other for the year. So, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not putting the, the blockers on the kid. I'm not saying he's not going to be any, he's not going to be anything. Um, just, yeah, I, I'd need to see a little bit more of him, see a little bit more game time from him. Um, cause yeah, I haven't really sort of had time to see how he plays. And I think, uh, just needs to get the ball in his hands. That's fair. Um, I mentioned, I, and I, oh, sorry. And I, I was just going to say that when it comes to looking at this year, and what they what they miss this year, it's going to be interesting to see how that impacts some of the players in the way that they perform. Because it's, it was all, I just wonder how much of the uh, I don't know if wake up calls the right word for it, but that realization that your window to impress is that little bit smaller because they've missed this year. And yes, they've got that year that where they've gone a year up. But I think for a lot of players, they'd be seeing this year as a critical year in their own development. And yeah. whether we see the cream rise to the top with these, whether there's players that maybe didn't quite stand out as much before, but the, it, it suddenly hits home, hey, this is, this, is the, this is the year where I'm going to have to produce if I want to make a career out of football. Absolutely. You always you, you always want them to have that plan B, but uh, yeah, this could be that that year that's a little bit more crucial than it has been in past years. Now, um, I shouted out the big hogs, the um, the young bulls before, but on top of um, Jonte Junior, Beth and me, we've got a couple of other forwards that will sort of make a name for themselves in the front row this year. Um, we've got Albert Etu for Ave, uh, Mark Tepu Smith, and Peter Tateo. So we've got a couple. I think. I think it's probably fair to suggest that Albert and Mark are probably similar props, Ham. Um, sort of that impact prop off the bench, light on their feet for a big man, bit of an offload. Whereas Peter Tio is well, more of a, maybe like a, a tweener between lock and prop. Yeah, uh, Mark Tepu-Smith, uh, going back to that trial match that uh, Sixers and I saw at North Sydney, he actually come off the bench at that game and, uh, you know, he stinted manly, he'd grown a lot. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but his ball skills that day were just... They were on another level. He could have been another halfback. Yeah, well, well Tapu Smith is really interesting because he left the Eels in a 2017 where we won the SG ball. And during that finals campaign, he was good throughout the regular season, but during the finals campaign, he was arguably our best player. He was so good. Just took over games in the front row. And then, he, like you said, he went to Manly for a couple of years, came back in 2020. And, uh, yeah, and now he's sort of hopefully, you know, in, in ideal playing shape and ready to make a huge impact for the Eels. I, I can only echo what... Uh, Ham just said because he's literally taken straight off my notes that, that I was <laughs> going to refer back. Plagiarism. To, <laughs> I was going to refer back to what we saw of him at the start of the year, and he was one that I'd noted down that could very well have a massive season in 2020. And I was really looking forward to seeing what he was going to produce on the on the field because of yeah, it, it, it was. It was quite a, an imposing performance coming off the bench in that trial. But, again, that's where we have to look at, okay, these are trials. There's going to be players that shine as individuals, some that uh, some that mightn't get that opportunity because the combinations aren't there. But he certainly had a ripper at, in that game. From memory, I think he scored a try and set up a further two from yeah. from my terrible memory from uh, yeah, February so this year. Between Tepu Smith and Etu Fa'ave, they've got some real big impact uh 
boys from wherever it's going to be on the bench or starting sort of complementary to whoever's going to be there, either starting prop, whether it's um, Beth and Mesa or even Peter Tatio. Yeah, but, that, um, that, middle, that middle rotation there is going to be big. It's going to be ferocious. Yeah, and, and Pete, Peter's a good one to shout out too because he's young. Um, he's, he's definitely, I think he's more of a front roll than a lock, but he's got the mobility to sort of dabble at 13 and, and be a bit of a difference maker there. So, but um, given that you've got Caleb Toey there already, it's going to be pretty fierce trying to uh, jam him into that spot. But yeah, um, yeah, Tatiro's a good one because he's got a lot of leadership chops as well. He's captain a lot of the teams come through the junior reps um, and a very good prospect, well-rounded, um, probably you know, less of an offloader stepper than, uh, well, in terms of being a big man than uh, Albert and Mark, but just a yeah, really solid, aggressive forward. And I think that um that rounds out the front row at the very minimum. <laughs> oh, and oh, I think we're missing out on a big one there, Valence Harris. Oh yeah, yes. that oh, is yes. that is true. Now, <laughs> I, you know, you know why? Thinking, hang on, hang on. We haven't spoken about Valence. And Harris that, that's yet. that's on me because Val's been around forever, and he's like furniture, like just part of the you know part of the background, and you sort of take it for granted. But um, he's been you know since like Matthews with like a lot of the really strong squads, but as a young guy. And, you know, it's easy to get him left behind with the hype behind Hugh, uh, Sam Hughes and David Hollis and whatnot. But he's been a, a really reliable uh, performer for the Eels in every grade, an absolute stalwart for the middle. Um, a, a good kid, isn't he? He is. And, he's, and he's, he, he did have, uh, I think, a fairly nasty knee injury at the end of 2019. Would that be, would that be yeah. right? Yeah, I think he might have needed a knee Rico, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just have that I just have that feeling. I know he's, he's a very good... Uh, um, he's a very good mate of uh, our first grade uh, five eight in Dylan Brown. Never heard and, of him. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I just have it in the in the back of my head that um, some it's somewhere there that he did it right at the end of 2019. And uh, there was a I remember being told that when Dylan Brown I think had starred in that in that semi final game against the Broncos that. Uh, instead of being out celebrating, what have you, he, he went round and uh, spent a bit of time with with Valance uh, because yeah, Valance had just had that injury. So um, putting mates putting mates there um, in, I suppose, in a priority above himself, going out and celebrating. So um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing how he goes. He's had a bit of time to recover. Maybe that's a situation where 2020 not being a uh, getting any action might have helped him. He'd be one of the players that would have benefited from it, I believe. Yes, yeah, yeah. Because um, we, yeah. we've seen it so often. You blow your knee at the end of one season. You're trying to race to get back as early as possible next year, and you get back and you just you are a shadow of the player that you know you can be. And so for him to have the entire 12 month recuperation means he's going to hit the you know hit his straps in 2021, and he's going to bring experience to a young team. So he's going to be a real leader in the forward pack. And he's going to set the tone for the boys, I think. So, yeah, very good shout out there, boys. Um, and I, I, I am sorry to Valence for missing you initially. Just on Valence, um, you know, uh, it, it's only a minor thing, but it's something I've I noticed uh, uh, this year and last year was that uh, in 2019, uh, a few weeks after he'd done his knee, Valence uh, was actually down in Melbourne with a Parramatta Eels jersey on for that uh, sec- uh, round two of the finals down there. So... He was down there supporting the team, and again, he was at the uh, finals game against South Sydney wearing his Eels jersey. Good so, club man. Respect that. Yes. And it's just, you know, it's that little thing where he's a Parramatta local. Uh, I, I know um, uh, 
O'Neill, Mark O'Neill mentioned it in the TCT, in the Tip Sheet podcast. But as these guys grow up supporting Parramatta, they grow up wanting to play for Parramatta. And uh, Val is one of those players. So mm-hmm. it's good to see uh, someone who's passionate about the club also be able to pull on the jersey. Good point, Ham. All right, we've done the front row. We've um, talked about the back row a little bit. Let's get to the back line now. There's a couple of names I want to talk about here. Um, and we, we sort of gave him a shout-out earlier on and talking about wingers with a bit of um, football intelligence, a bit of football knowledge, a bit of nous. Matthew Komalafi, a uh, big strapping lad, plays on the right flank usually right hand, if I recall correctly. Um, uh, I feel like it's the right flank or is it left? Um, my memory is so, so spotty. But uh, big, big lad um, of African extraction, but he's got great football intelligence. Um, great athletic frame, obviously, but plays the game – uh, with his head up and sort of reading the floor of the game really well. Um, didn't get to see much of him in 2020 because I think he had syndesmosis. I saw him in a moon boot throughout the uh, uh, early parts of the season. So this is going to be a big year for him. Uh, what are you expecting out of the uh, the winger? Uh, I, I, given uh, who isn't named in this team, he is the player in the back line here. He's got to be a leader of uh, the two to five. I think he and again he's he's good at that. He's good at rucking the ball out. He's good close to the line. Um, but I th- yeah, he needs to stand up. Um, it'll be a bit of pressure on his shoulders given uh, the inexperience of the rest of the back line there. So um, yeah, I think he can handle it with ease. He's a, he's a very good player, very confident player, smart player. Just a matter of staying healthy for him, isn't it? He got sort of yeah. banged up by injuries in the last season and a half, which a lot of it was just a function of bad luck more than, you know, not being prepped for it. Um, yeah, so 60s, what do you think about Kamalafi? He's been a blog favourite on TCT for a number of years for good reason, and you've been in the yeah. stands with me as we've watched him quite often. One of the interesting things that we've talked about in the past is <laughs> I, I can't recall that we've seen him out in the clear in a long-distance try. He always seems to be one of these blokes that's in the right place to finish off a, a try close in, and he does the... He does those hard yards quite well. He's very physical carrying the ball. But I don't know if I've ever really seen him in open space to be able to properly judge his yeah. pace. And he, like, I was, like I was saying before, he's, he's obviously an athletic lad, like really tall, well-built in proportion. But like you said, we've never actually gotten to see him stride out, which is really yeah. funny because he scored a lot of tries. He's done a lot of really good work in terms of rucking, like you said, just he never gets the line breaks happen on the inside. Yeah. Yeah, he's. I've I've yet to see him put into into space where he's he's on the end of an overlap where he's out into space. He just seems to be able to within that quarter. He's. I've seen him find the way to the line where I think there's no, the try's not on, and then next thing you know, he's he's through and he's over. <laughs> and that's probably a well. I'd say it's his physicality. And he's, he's obviously got very good core strength as well in the contact and uh, good balance to be able to take a knock and still get through, get the ball down, um, take the knock, carrying the ball up in from the backfield. So I, I just have the feeling that it will be one of those years where we are going to see him in open space. I just think that it's... Uh, I'm not. I'm, I'm jotting that one down. I'm going to see Kamalafi. Like length length, like of, the field, say, length uh, of the field try, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's my early tip. That's a marker of good play that Matthew Kamalafi will be put into space. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I like now, but yeah, to round it out, he is a very well-rounded winger, um, safe on the high ball, very intelligent defensively, reads the, the attacking line really well. Doesn't mean he can't get caught out of position because wingers are a really hard position to defend. 
but he, he invariably makes the right decision far more often than he doesn't, which is really encouraging for a young flanker because you don't see that too often. Um, he's not the – I mean, Ham's talking about how he's going to have to ca- most likely carry the back line given that there's a, some notable omissions, but he's not the only oh, talent. Don't get me wrong, just yeah. because they're not – they could still be Yeah, yeah that, that wasn't meant to be a, a sort of talk down to the back line, but he's going to be a leader in that back line. But yeah. um, he's, we talked about Emmanuel Tumave Gerard before. Um, another option at potentially centre or even fullback would be Tyrone Sow, who sort of burst onto the scene last – I was about to say last year, but last season in the SG Boreham – um, younger cousin of former NRL player Junior Sal, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah, sort of built in that same nuggety mould. Um, was a pretty pretty proficient try scorer in the games he got um, to play. Yeah, um, he sort of he started off at fullback there, and then I think he moved into uh, into the halves. So that's sort of the style of um, backline player that we have on hand with him. Again, I just I haven't seen enough of him to that. That's a, qualif- a qualifier we have to use for a few players, unfortunately, because he joined the yeah. club in 2020. We got you know to see a handful of our junior rep games and that was it. So he's um going to be battling for a spot in the back line somewhere, um, potentially at centre, I'd say, because I think that there's another player we'll talk about now that might have the inside running for fullback. Um, yes, I think I know where you're going here. And um, we're talking about, well, if I'm not mistaken, if we're all on the same wavelength, we're talking about right. the uh, the former SG Ball Player of the Year in 2018, and that's not the Parramatta Eels SG Ball Player of the Year. That's the entire competition. Um, Josh Tuopolotu who um, made a, a quite a reserved flag debut this season on the wing. And that was because he was behind another pretty good player that we'll talk about in a second. Um, and, and Josh didn't have much of a chance to impress on the wing. But as a fullback, um, I'm looking at my TCT notes for an article I'm going to post this week. And I've got him down as a, a smooth and easy athlete because he just looks like he's carving through butter, just like almost like that Lockyer-esque athleticism, like just, you know, cruising around the park. Like a, I don't know. He just... Uh, was a devastating kick returner in the, the SG ball for the Eels. Uh, was lethal on the edges. A little bit of ball playing. He's not the best ball playing fullback, but with the ball in hand, he's so devastating. Yeah, I think he's probably lifted a little bit in his ball playing too. I think they've worked a bit on that. That's really good to hear. Yeah. And yeah, like I said, he, he didn't play fullback in 2020 because there was another monster blue chip talent in Sean Russell that sort of locked down that position. Um, and we'll talk about Sean shortly. But yeah, Josh is a player that I've got high expectations for. Um, that 2018 season, he was uh, very good. As a was that when he got injured in the grand? That's ball? when he got he went up high to defuse the ball, and um, Manly got underneath his legs. And I don't know if it was intentional or not, but it, it was a, not a good looking uh, bit of play, and he ended up coming down real badly on that leg and breaking it. And um, yeah, turned that completely that turned the game. Decided the match. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So uh, Josh is uh, right in the run, assuming that. Sean Russell isn't playing flag. I think Josh is sort of the inside runner for fullback. Um, but if not, he's going to feature in the back line somewhere. He is very talented. Um, and yeah, and just it's a matter of getting the football in, into him now. Um, just looking at the team now. So we've covered forward pack. We've covered the back line for the most part. Oh, Kyle Schneider. Well, I was going to get to the spine. Well, we'll get yeah. Yes, spine. So um, we'll lead off of Kyle Ham because this is a name that so many listeners of this podcast, so many readers of TCT and so many fans in general will be very familiar with. And he's got an interesting story to the 2021 flag squad because I wasn't in attendance of the, the last game of the season because I was looking after myself for potential COVID infection just in, in lieu of some near and dear ones I didn't want to potentially risk being exposed to. But on the big screen, Kyle was one of the players that was named as Leaf in the club, one of yeah, 11 was, players. Yeah, it was, um, it was disappointing to see. It was sort of a confirmation of what I thought I already knew because I, I, we hadn't heard anything about Kyle recently. No, and then... 
around the traps there was some talk about the dogs having having a contract on offer for him yeah, and then uh, there was also manly yeah a bit of talk about manly i think on one of the uh social media sort of rumor accounts that tied oh it was a uh, wacko uh wacko's whispers yeah, are tied into manly and then lo and behold he's named in the flag squad or at least the preliminary flag squad and that is worth noting we haven't talked about it but these squads are subject to change um they are like most likely representative of the final squads but there is the potential for players to be added or subtracted given um you know contract status and and things that happen so i think that the the eels are pretty much locked into these squads but there is still potential to change them and i think they're they're basically a selection list with uh some contracts to be finalized yeah exactly and, so and the and when it came to Kyle we had the the club actually answered a question on social on, media yeah, on Twitter regard. of all things. <laughs> yeah, and, and basically said we have offered him a jersey flag contract. So he is not so, not necessarily committed to the squad. That's but, it, yeah. But there is a, a good chance he does return to the blonde gold. And if not he'll obviously pursue his, his future elsewhere. And so like I said, Kyle, someone that everyone's very familiar with. Ham, assuming that he stays on with the club, what are you looking for the young man? What do you want out of him in twenty twenty one? I just want to say that I think the break is one of the ones would have helped Kyle. Sounds weird because he would have had a full season at dummy half, but I think 12 months, putting on weight, getting over his injury, you know, hopefully growing a little bit of confidence back in that shoulder will have done him well because he's a very talented individual, um, very very well-spoken young man, um, great leader um, and all that. What what I'm expecting of him in 2021, lock down that hooker position, really become a leader amongst you know, a very strong forward pack. I think he can guide this team around really well. Um, dependent on what happens with those not named in the team, in the squad, um, he will be, he'll basically be, I think he'll probably be captain of this team, um, given what it looks like currently. Um, so there's a lot of weight on his shoulders and um, putting a bit of pressure on him. And again, like as 60 said before, it's sort of this break would have also said to Kyle, what do I want to do? Like, do I want to continue with this or do I want to, like, you know, move on to other pastures? And I think um, Kyle's a, a bright person that he would have sat down and had that talk with himself, with his uh, inner circle there. So, um, yeah, it's, it's good. To, I, I was I was very happy to see him uh, named on the squad list and surprised. And I think uh, 2021 can go a long way and, you know, push for... Uh, Canterbury Cup selection later on in the year. Yeah, I don't think there's anything overly complicated when you sort of lay out the the blueprint for Kyle. It's about staying healthy, and you already said that, Ham. That that's the only knock on him recently is he's being banged up. You know, it's been shoulders more often than not, but I think he might have done a knee or a, something else at the one point. But it's mostly the shoulders. Yeah, and just, uh, he did a he did a hip. I a think hip. It was that's the one. Late, yeah, yeah. Late twenty nineteen. Right. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that that's the challenge for him is stay healthy. You stay on the park, and I think everything else takes care of itself for him. And you know, hopefully, his future is at the Eels. But if it isn't, you know, staying healthy will get him a good contract somewhere, and it'll also help. I'm, sorry, uh, I'm I'm actually at the other end of the scale to Hamish's opinion about 2020 with Kyle. I think it was the worst thing that could have happened for him in his football that there was no football for him this year. I watched him as part of the full time squad, just having to rock up and train and literally get minimal game time and he was he was almost additional to the needs in the full-time training squad this year he got to spend uh he, he was 
course, he was sitting behind um, Reese Davies in the squad in terms of being the dummy half in opposed sessions. He was spending probably as much time out on the wing in an opposed session as he was a dummy half. And I don't think 2020 was a football growth year for Kyle at all. Maybe it might be, might have been mentally, if if he's emerged from it with a determination that is beyond what his determination was before. But I just think it was a bloody awful year for him this year. And he didn't get to show what he could do out on the field. And any player, and because he was part of the full-time squad, he couldn't go and join in that under-20s competition that was that was formulated later in the year. So some of these young blokes that are going to be in the development squad, they actually got to play some football this year by that local under-20s competition. Kyle was restricted to just playing the extra extra man as part of the full-time squad. So I... I, I felt devastated for him this year. And um, it's, as Forty has said quite often, the best uh, ability is availability. Mm-hmm. And this was his year where he was going to be available. And unfortunately, the opportunities weren't there for him because he'd had that horrible run of injuries prior to 2020. He'd built up, he'd, he'd muscled up prior to this uh, season, had a really strong preseason. And was his path was going to be start off in Jersey Flag, jump up to Canterbury Cup during the season, play against the older blokes, which he'd never really had the opportunity to do. And, uh, yeah, it just didn't happen. So, um, and to be honest, and I'm going to be brutal here, if I was Kyle Schneider, I'd leave the Eels because he now is sitting behind three players. Yeah, and, and the, for reference, that would be Reid Marnie, uh, Joey Lusick, and then the addition to the development squad, in uh, I was about to say Joe Tavanga, which is definitely not the player we signed. He's the the really useful uh, uh, Warriors lock forward slash hooker, but it's uh, Nathaniel Roach, who is quite a talented player, but has been even more injury plagued than Kyle, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. So would would Kyle get the opportunities if he if he stayed for twenty twenty one in Fleg? Would he get the same opportunity that they planned for in twenty twenty with him? I.e., start in Fleg and then start to get Canterbury Cup time during the season. I look at that and you've got, you've got Joey Lussick and you've got Nathaniel Roach, who are just as likely to be the Canterbury Cup players, if not one of them coming off the bench in, in maybe Joey Lussick. But uh, unless you're talking about injuries or requirement for first grade, you'd go, well, I don't know how much Canterbury Cup time he'd get this year. So that's just me being brutal. And if, if I was his manager, unless there were... Um, no offers coming from anywhere else uh, I, I'd take an opportunity somewhere else from an individual perspective and don't get me wrong like like Hamish when I saw him named I thought oh good he's staying at the club and then I took the perspective for of, I took his perspective and I thought hmm three you know three players in front of me and Nathaniel Roach is a young bloke um, Joey Lussick is what mid-20s um, and um, obviously Reed's a young bloke it's, it's it's tough sledding for him, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. and and to cap it off, there's another player in this squad that's going to push him in 2021, I think, as well. Jaden Yates. Jaden Yates. Now, yeah. uh, for those that are unfamiliar, Jaden Yates is probably best corollary in terms of first grade would be Ray Stone as a back roll turned hooker. But unlike Stoney, who's doing it as a crash course in the NRL, Jaden's obviously doing it in the flag, which is a much more suitable sort of uh, far, what's called proving ground for him to do it. 
and uh, for, by all accounts, he's impressing. Um, you know, yeah. tough as teak, loves the the gritty stuff in the ruck, so it doesn't shy away from the the workload from the defense, and he's really polished his delivery. So I don't know if he's a a top class hooker in that regard, but he's certainly been more than serviceable, and he's he's really going to challenge for that starting uh, dummy half spot, I reckon. Oh, look, I I can I can see that that would be the that was possibly what it was going to look like if Kyle hadn't been offered that contract very late in the piece. Um, I, I've got to say, I, and this is me being critical, I don't understand the announcement that someone's leaving and then they're being offered a, 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 a spot flag. in the flag team. And then being told that it's it's a, it's an offer not signed on Twitter. It's, yeah, not a, not a great process. Um, no, no. I don't think, I don't think gonna... it inspires confidence for the player. I don't think it inspires confidence for the club. It's just not a great process in general. And it's funny because Eels have been relatively, you know, uh, tidy in this in this thing for so long, and just whatever, yeah. whatever happened between the COVID nineteen stuff and and you know the entire process for Kyle just has been a mess. Yeah, yeah, you'd have, you, they would have to admit that that's come out a, a little bit untidy. Um, so anyway, I suppose look, we we can probably talk for a long while about that. But um, yes, Jamie Yates is a is a good prospect in the in the dummy half area. Um, should we get on to the? The players that are likely to still feature in the in the flag that haven't been named in the flag. Yeah, well, the probably it leaves us with the biggest weakness of the flag squad, and that's the halves, which is a pretty unfortunate weakness to have. Um, it's a, more of a function of being unproven again because of the missing year. Uh, Clayton Falalo, uh, Nick Tilburg, and I think Ethan LeBlanc might be a bit of a smoky to fill in at five eight at times. Um, he's more of a hooker by trade when he came to the Eels last year, but I think that he might have a bit of experience in the halves too. So. Um, not, none of them are probably highly recognisable names in terms of mm, uh, prospects lists and all that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, you know, you sort of expect them to do a job. That does lead us to some of the players that would be available in the notable omissions list. And this has got some real uh, girth to it in a, in a non-sexual way, obviously. <laughs> so I'm um, headlining the notable omissions list in by order, alphabetical order as well, by coincidence, is Jacob Arthur. Um, and I've got the, these two top 30 players here or well, we, we assume the top 30 because I think the club has um, yeah, they have put on else. record. Yeah, um, David Hollis and Sam Hughes, flag eligible, but will probably be taking part in the Canterbury Cup next year. Um, you've got Tarsi James, Samuel Loizu, Solomoni Naiduki, Viliami Penasini, and it's a shame that Bertie had to drop out uh, for personal reasons because Penasini is his favourite player. Um, Sean Russell and Charbel Tassipali. Um, that is some firepower, boys. That's some... Yeah, that's some- and I, can I just say that I think... We that list that came out of the flag was 24 names. And just to put this in context, in 2019, there were 47 players named in the flag list. In 2020, it was 36. So they've got only 24 that are listed there this year. And I think the number of players that haven't been listed is quite significant because you will see some of them most definitely starting in the uh, Jersey flag. So I think you're likely to see Jake Arthur be the halfback in the Jersey flag. You are perhaps, perhaps you're going to see Samuel Loizu as his halves partner. You would potentially see, as you've suggested before, Sean Russell at fullback. You are probably going to see Naiduki start on the wing. He might be, he's, he's my tip that maybe he might, he might go close to starting in Canterbury Cup. Because he certainly got the physicality. He is an absolute unit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, 
and there's probably a bit of a, a an injury cloud over Charbel Tassipali. Yeah, with the, he had a nasty hip injury that um, during this the latter part of the local twenties comp. So um, yeah, hard to say there, but certainly Tassie James is uh, right up there. Yeah, Ham found a yeah. picture of Tassie James from the other day, and he is almost too swell to control. He is ripped. He is yeah, looking yeah. good. Put on a, some good weight. And if if yeah. Ta- if Tarsi James plays flag, I expect him to move straight into the starting third, like starting thirteen at thirteen. I think mean, he yeah. plays lock forward, um, without a doubt. And that sort of um, it just adds that much more competition and depth to that middle rotation. Yeah, I'm I'm expecting all of those boys that we just named to do the NRL preseason. And then um, there's there's not there's too many of them that are listed there to all get development contracts. Yes, given that the Fanner Roach officially occupies one of the six slots as well, you've yeah. only got five available slots. Obviously, Holson Hughes are top 30, but you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven players going into five. And, you know, Charbel's injury might mean that he's probably getting scratched from the competition, but still yeah. <clears throat> gives you six going into five. Yeah. So um, I don't know if someone gets promoted to the top 30 and they take a flyer on an Iduki or something like that. Or um, maybe a Sean Russell, if that's the way they go, or if someone just gets a train and trial contract and drops back the flag contract. But yeah, looking at that team, they're they're all instant starters in the flag outside of Holson Hughes, who'd be starters in in Canterbury Cup. But you know, Penasini is your first centre picked in the back line. Naduki is your first winger picked, even above Komalafi, I'd say. Um, you know, and Russell, Arthur, and Loizu all occupy spine positions, or in Loizu's position, uh, Loizu's case, could probably play centre if needed as well. So. Yeah, um, real talent in that group. And, you know, Jacob Arthur obviously starring in the Schoolboys Cup. Got a lot of um, pressure on him with the Arthur surname at the club, um, but he's really uh, grown in the last 12 months, um, not just physically growing into that sort of rangy frame that he's always had. He's really shot up and, and built up, but he's also looking um, much more uh, assured and in command of his um, attacking repertoire. Very confident to take on the defensive line of the ball in hand, happy to throw aggressive balls at the line. Um, and he's always had a very polished kicking game, given that he is a coach's son. That's something you saw with Nathan Cleary too as a young kid. Um, they they dot their eyes and cross their T's when it comes to playmaking. Yeah, and the, of course the other thing that he's got in his favour is that his father w- would just be onto him all the time about defence. So one of the strengths of Jake is his defensive game, and people who tuned into the Schoolboy Cup would have seen his. I, I don't know if he missed a tackle in, in the games that we saw, and some of them were quite crucial. Even, and I don't know if people noticed this, but even that last flurry that Westfield put on uh, right when, after full time went, there was a Hail Mary pass that actually found its mark to a player flying onto the ball, and the field was open. And Jake Arthur was probably the only player that was around there defensively, and he cut the player down. And uh, the ball uh, and the and the play broke down just, and there was still a, a little bit more of a flurry with the ball. But that was actually the moment where, if he wasn't there and a strong defender, that player was flying onto the ball at that moment, and it could have just completely opened up and changed the ending of that schoolboy cup. So yeah, his defence is his strength. That certainly comes about through being uh, BA's son, but. You know, young blokes like him, fitness is going to be key to his success. And he is, um, we've seen him train during his childhood alongside the first grade team. School holidays would come and him and his younger brother would be running alongside 
the first graders as they're doing conditioning in the pre-season. They're on school holidays. So their school holidays comes and they're, they're running at the end of the line doing all the um, all the Malcolms and doing all the uh, the runs. I think there was a famous photo of Jared Hayne when he came back uh, <laughs> running behind Young Goods where Young Goods had overtaken yes. him. Yes. This is, this is their history. They... They won't have a Jake won't have a problem with the preseason at all. He'll he'll be one of the stars of the preseason. You can He's bet that. <laughs> so, uh, but look, what I'm looking forward to with these these particular players that we've just mentioned is back at the the from going from that transition from 2018 into 2019, and we saw that influx of young players that joined the full time squad in the preseason. Some of whom continued on. As the as uh, part of the full time squad, others it was just a pre season that they were part of. But we had that influx of um, uh, it was uh, Ethan Parry, it was Hayes Dunster. That was I think Kyle Schneider's first pre season that he was doing. Um, he also had um, obviously um, uh, all the. Basically, it was all that that squad that was the 2017. It was, wasn't it? That won every that that was the SG ball that won everything. 17 yeah. was the ball squad that went to the final, like one final, and then the, into the Holden Cup squad that went to the grand final, um, only yeah. to to lose at the end. Yes. Yeah. So um, you you had th- that influx of all those young stars. They shaped what that preseason was. They pushed the experienced blokes. Even even uh, Gutho was getting pushed, and it was it was. I think it was critical in us turning around the wooden spoon season, going into a a new start in 2019. Was that energy and enthusiasm from the young blokes that were elevated? So um, yeah, there was uh, Stefano as well. I think that was his first preseason. Um, there, um, yeah, it was just, it, it was, it was terrific. So, you know, seeing the, seeing the, um, the young blokes that were pushing the first graders to their limit. So um, I'm thinking that we're going to get something similar that happens this year because the when you get the young blokes that come in, we're we're talking about um, a, a real chance to change the profile of the full time squad because they got rid of so many players. They basically got rid of players that were in the that were going to be Canterbury Cup level. So when you're talking about what was it about 19, 20 players that are there from last year and we're talking about from the there was a 32 player squad through most of this COVID season and they've kept 19 or 20, they'll have 36 players this year. You're talking about almost half the squad is going to be new. So I think that's going to I think it's going to be critical for uh, what has turned out. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it when they when they start back mm-hmm. up. I just That's... want to expand on uh, 60's thoughts there. It was a few years ago, uh, I'm going to say a friend of TCT, Anthony Field, we're having a chat to him and he was saying one of the first things they teach these boys is how to train. It's not ball skills, it's not any. It's how to train, how to do it on your own time because when you're in the junior grades, you've only got a certain amount of days and time with the squad. So, you know, those extra training times uh, are crucial for 16, 17, 18 year olds. And it, it goes to show that uh, the turnaround in the junior um, profile has now gone into first grade. And as uh, 60 said, all those guys have been taught how to train and they've just brought that into the first grade uh, squad there. Oh, of course. And, the, and of course, the player that I didn't 
really highlight enough as uh, uh, that I should have was Dylan Brown because he it was documented that he ended up having a having a have an ambulance called because he was pushing himself that hard in that in that first preseason. But his preseason that and give this is the remarkable thing about him when you think about it. He pushed into the first grade team with that preseason, mm. so. It, it, it was a remarkable elevation for him. And it was one where, and if you go back the season before that with the um, wooden spoon season, Reed Marnie, the same. He was on a train and trial. He didn't have a development contract. He was in a, on a train and trial. And he just kept pushing and pushing through that preseason as an elevation from the uh, under-20s team. And it became irresistible. He had to, they gave him his debut. Certainly injuries helped to provide that opportunity, but it was what he brought that it was, it, it helped to start to change the dynamic. And when you have young blokes there that, as Hamish said, they've been taught how to train, that particular group, 2018 into 2019, they were training together as part of like a preseason to a preseason. But they also had the uh, time that they spent just with themselves where they were catching up and training and, and pushing themselves as a group before they fronted to the start of the official preseason. So they, they were determined to make a change. And I think you're going to find some of these young blokes that are coming in that we've just mentioned, they've been doing the same. So I'm, I'm expecting that they are really going to make an impact in the preseason. They're not, they won't be ready for first grade, but they will impact what the sport does because they're going to they're going to push the mark when it comes to conditioning. I mean, and, I, mentioned, I mentioned this on the TCT tip sheet with Mark O'Neill that iron sharpens iron, and I think you know having those young kids pushing the established talent is a good thing. Um, I'm not going to complain by any means, and I think that getting that bubble uh, restrictions relaxed will help a lot of teams, but especially the Parramatta Eels, you know, be able to challenge the senior talent on a weekly basis in the post sessions will keep the boys sharp. Now, um, we sort of got away from it a little bit, but uh, in, in looking at the bigger picture of the NRL, but what are our predictions for the flag in 2021? It's a good team. If they have those notable missions in, it's a great team. You're thinking sort of, you know, you never want to say title or bust, but this is a team that should be looking to go all the way, right? I think it's going to come back to that same philosophy of, are we looking to win a title or are we looking to, develop the players now again we go back to that um 2018 season where the s uh, the um under 20s team had players like dylan brown and hayes and ethan um that were elevated in the latter part of the season up to reserve grade for wenty and there were basically points that were sacrificed that impacted where the where the under-20s finished and then they ended up bowing out in the first week of the finals. So to me, it'll be if you had their full-strength team, they're top four easily. However, if some of them move on and start featuring in Canterbury Cup, then that changes the whole dynamic because I think if you're looking at the strength of the spine, if you've got the halves like... Uh, Jake Arthur and I don't as I said it might be Samuel Loizu that plays in the halves beside him I don't know but if you've got any of those players those two Sean Russell um, that end up moving up then it's a different team so I think it all I think it all revolves around those players that aren't named in the jersey flag and how much of the season they play in jersey flag 
Ham, what do you, what do you look at for the, the Fleet Boys? What's their outlook? Um, yeah, I, I think uh, six is a spot on there that uh, it all do, all comes down to those um, handful of players if they play. Well, then they're definitely a, a top four squad um, with an eye on the title. Again, it's hard to say because uh, looking purely at Parramatta, I'm not 100% sure on um, what the other squads are looking like and how the, the strength of their teams. So it's quite difficult. But, um, yeah, if those spine players play, I think this team can really force. But as... Again, a six. He's, he's, he got it all, really. <laughs> I just That's why I pay him the big dollars, mate. The tip sheet, honestly, it's <laughs> been great. <laughs> um, yes, uh, you know, if these guys play well, I'll just I'll, I'll say I'll echo what uh, sixty said before. Um, you know, these guys we want to develop them for first grade. We're not here to necessarily win junior premierships. So I'm I'm expecting them to play early on in the season, and I think we'll see um, some very good football. From this from this team, um, and then as the year progresses on, I'm expecting the first grade to move up eventually to Canterbury Cup. Um, you know, in years past, that's sort of where uh, these teams flounder a little bit as new combinations come in. Um, obviously, you know these guys aren't your first choice picks, so um, talent wise, they're not just not quite there. And so, look, I think they can make third week of the finals. I, th- I think you know. Second, even if a lot of the spine players don't play, I reckon second week, second or third week of the finals for this for this group, I think is a good benchmark to set. And I think there's some very, t- even though those guys aren't playing, like as mentioned before, uh, Tohis, your Tateos, your Tepu Smiths, um, Beatham Mises, Kamalafis, they're still talented players. So um, you know, and as a Parramatta junior team, you've got to set high high bars these young men to to reach yeah i think i think i sort of outlined my my outlook at the start where i think that it's always risky to say title or bust because there's so many factors apply between injuries and promotions to canterbury cup and whatnot but i do think this is a squad that should be aspiring to chase the the trophy or it is a trophy i suppose it's not i was thinking like a title belt it's not wrestling or boxing (laughs) um to, to chase the title. I think that this is, a you know, they've got weapons across the forward pack, the back line, and if those players that weren't in, in the initial flag squad come back, their spine's as good as any in the competition. If not, there are some question marks around the halves. I think, you know, you sort of you're balancing between uh, Tilburg, uh, uh, LeBlanc, Falalo, and um, even Tavita Massimo, who's a bit of a super utility. So that, that would put a big question mark over the squad. But with the likes of uh, Arthur and... Uh, Loizu and Russell in the mix, all of a sudden this looks like a team that is going to be very hard to stop. And indeed, the, probably the biggest thing that would stop them would be themselves. So I'm I'm expecting big things. I'm excited to watch this Jersey Flag team. Um, regardless of results, I think that the, the development, yeah, it's going to be real real exciting to watch. We talked about it. There's um guys that are essentially new recruits, even though they've been in the system for a year now, in Clements, Kovalati, and uh, Tuomavave Gerard. Um, so they're going to be cool to watch. Marley Townsend's a guy that's been named in both ball and flag, so he's interesting. And yeah, it's just going to be a fun season, I think, for the flag. And of course, uh, some of the, uh, some of these selection decisions might yet be impacted by bubble decisions as yeah, well. Yeah, we, we touched on it, but that's players. going to be a big yeah. factor in how clubs can approach the you know training and and game day prep and all that sort of stuff. Is what restrictions COVID nineteen will have on the twenty twenty one season? Yeah, and it, it may well be that they they come up with a solution for. 
the Canterbury Cup players who are ostensibly going to be a, a chunk of them are going to be part of the full-time squad and potentially some of the development boys but are they able to get similar protocols that extend down to the Jersey fleet for the players who are on development contracts for the younger ones in the squad um, so it is it is potentially going to be interesting we can only hope that COVID is well and truly under control in Australia by the time that the premiership kicks off next year. You'd have to say we're close to, we're touch wood, we're getting pretty close to being in a better control situation within this country now. But as we've seen, we just don't know where the curveballs will come in the next few months in, in terms of that disease. So, um, yeah, so fingers crossed that we maintain the same path and that we can return to having completely normal football conditions next year. We're not thinking about how they work around bubbles and, and those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, interesting times ahead. Good call, 60s. Now, it's been a monster podcast, hour and 45 minutes on the clock somehow. Whoa. Whoa. It's absolute. It's been a good chat. <laughs> yeah, one you're gonna your, your grandchildren will probably hear about this podcast by the time it's finished. So... Lots that we talked about, but unfortunately, we're going to finish on a somber note, Ham. Um, I'll let you take it away, mate. But there's some, been some tragic news in the rugby league community that Ham will, will break on the podcast. Yeah, I'll, I suppose won't break. Well, so. sorry, yeah, cover on the podcast. Sorry, yeah. mate. You know, I just want to thoughts and prayers to uh, Keith Tippis's family, um, the young manly player, unfortunately passed away while at training. Oh, Half an hour after training, I believe. Training, yeah, um, this week. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate to see any young person pass away, but one that's part of the. Uh, footy family it's it's even harder so um yeah just thoughts and prayers to his family and the manly club it's 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 going to be a really tough thing to um deal with um so yeah yeah and it's also a time of reminder unfortunately you know at the expense of a young life about you know just general checkups um i believe it was an underlying heart condition that might have gotten young keith and you know they're not always easy to diagnose but that's why you do your yearly checkups and all those sort of things so you know, it's in your best interest, you know, see your doctor and see, you know, if anything's wrong with the body. Like Ham said, um, you know, condolences and best wishes to the Titmus family and, and to the entire Manly football community, all his friends and, and staffers there that would have, you know, grown up and around him. It's going to be absolutely heartbreaking stuff. And like Ham said, it's it, it's a almost insurmountable. That the, the emotional and psychological blow was huge. And I can only wish everyone the best. Yeah, it's hard to find the right words, isn't it? No, ex- exactly. like this. Yeah. It's in a, it, whatever you say is inadequate because yeah. you know it, yeah. it doesn't cover the hole that's been left in these lives. So yeah, um, best wishes to everyone at Manly and to everyone in, in Keith's life because you know they've lost a great young man there. <clears throat> and yeah, and that that brings us to the end of the podcast. Thanks everyone that has listened to this um, mammoth uh, gargantuan project. It, it is quite a long one. Yeah, this is uh, a, this is actually a record for everyone, whether it's para podcast or TCT. We've never approached these sort of numbers and. Um, we'll, we'll try and itinerize everything because there is a lot to talk about. And um, yeah. maybe what we do is we well, yeah, we can blame that we can blame the club for making you know rather large squad selections. Yeah. And um, but we could all you know maybe you, you could you can probably do something clever there, mate. You can create a um, a para podcast one where it's just ham talking. And uh, <laughs> one kind of everyone else talking, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and. We could either have some periods of silence where people can go away and have a cup of coffee, or or something like that, or uh. just like like the old, your oldie fear to have intermissions. 
know, just go, go and get your coffee and, and come back with some bickies <laughs> and, and settle in. But yeah, as, as always, on behalf of everyone on the Para Podcast, who I, I'm, I'm part of with Hamish, Birdie, and, and um, the other Hamish, who's unfortunately absent today, and on, so on the TCT side of things of 60s, um, sincere thank you for everyone stopping by. It means a lot to have people listen to us, you know, just shoot the shit and talk footy every week or every other week when it happens to be the off-season. And yeah, and um, you know, it's going to start ramping up from here for everyone. Uh, pre-season starting to close in. Um, yeah, I think it's uh, early, you know, early December for the initial check-in for the boys, and then the Origin lads will get back in the new year. So we'll have some talking points, hopefully. Boys, anything you want to say before you sign off? Uh, thank you, good night, and farewell. Ham? Uh, forever yours in blue and gold. Oh, that's feel that one? That's sweet. <laughs> All right. Catch you later, guys. Thanks for stopping by. <laughs> yeah, Cheers. Go